0: Good morning, Goldendale, and hello to all of my fellow liberty loving Americans, all across the fruited plains from sea to shining sea. This is the host who loves you the most, Luke Throop here. Another wild, whimsical, wise sort of Wednesday for Torch Report 526 the crisis of governability and the weaponizing of trust. Today, friends, we are going to be taking a closer look at how the ruling class is seducing the public with lies. But let's let's go ahead and buckle up here, because be, before we get into our conversation and continue the conversation about how the global elites are weaponizing trust in order to enslave the whole of humanity, there's an interesting twist I want to share with you today, something that came up while I was researching for today's report. I was digging in to uh, find out what the WHO, the World Health Organization, and the United Nations were doing this week while the WEF is having its shindig over in Davos. And so it was, I was poking around, I was looking in the Journal of the United Nations, and they had several curiously timed entries on the ascension, accession, A-C-C-E-S-S-I-O-N, the accession of a small island nation off the coast of Africa, east coast of Africa, called sal tomi uh, Tome and Principe, uh, Tome and Principe, that's how I'm going to say it, I don't know if that's how they say it in the local dialect, but I had never heard of this tiny island nation before, and so I did a quick check, you know, a little search, and 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 what churned up right at the top of the search results was the CIA fact book, it was like the third result down, and that always gets my wheels turning, why oh why? is the CIA tracking this tiny African island nation and why pray tell did the CIA just happen to have updated their world fact book on Sao Tome Princi- and Principe uh, Principe just last week they updated this now so i'm seeing this this journal entry in the United Nations and that's that's about the Sao Tome Principe all right great That's two different islands anyway i'm just going to call Sao Tome because uh, that's the main capital and all that Anyway, the CIA, they just updated that and all that, and of course, that got my, uh, as you might imagine, that got my mental wheels turning even quicker, and my curiosity shifted into high gear, and so then I looked at uh, the, uh, the next link, and there was uh, Britannica. That was the second search result, and, the, and Britannica, they had a write-up, and their write-up indica- indicated that Sal told me, has been under the tutelage of the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, and the World Bank since the mid 1980s. Wow, now that's fascinating. <laughs> you know, global bankers have been helping this tiny island nation for over 40 years. Uh, the CIA just updated their book, and the and this uh, this all comes out while the. Uh, that it comes out in the U.N. Journal while everybody's focusing, all the globalists are focusing on the WEF. Anyway, I wanted to put this into perspective here. Geographically speaking, the islands of Sao Tome and Principe, they comprise a meager 964 square kilometers of landmass. Now, that, that, that's roughly one-third the size of Rhode Island, it's a, which, is, of course, Rhode Island's the smallest state in the Union, and it's roughly one-half the size of the island of Maui. If you've ever been to Maui, it's not real big. Now, uh, it's, so it's half the size of that, and you might assume... That the deep pockets uh, and the expert prowess of the IMF and the World Bank would have these two little islands humming right along, maximizing the quality of life for the local citizens, and of course operating the economy at peak capacity, right? Because, I mean, come on, it's the IMF and the World Bank, and they've been helping them for 40 years, but... Unfortunately, though not surprisingly, this tiny African nation, this tiny nation of African island dwellers who have been under the tutelage, direct quote from Britannica, under the tutelage of the world's richest and most powerful organizations for over 40 years, they happen to be one of the poorest nations on earth. It's really kind of shocking if you think about it. Half the size of Maui, they got the full backing of the IMF and the World Bank under their tutelage to quote Britannica for over 40 years, and they're the, one of the poorest nations on earth. Hmm, what's going on here? Uh, for all the international interests, for the stupendous amount of financial aid coming from the IMF and the World Bank, one might think these islanders would be living pretty high on the hog, not scraping the bottom of the barrel. So what's going on here? Right. Well, you know, I kept I, I digging. I kept digging, comparing the population of Saotomi. Uh, it's a mere 220,000 people or so to the amount of international aid that has been poured into that country. Something just didn't add up. I mean, you got 220,000 people on an island si- half the size of Maui, full backing for 40 years of the global bankers. And, and they're the poorest in the world. It doesn't add up. And so I kept digging. And I was stunned to learn that this tiny island nation happens to be home to over 20 United Nations agencies. I kid you not. Over 20 United Nations agencies. Now, there's nice beaches on this island and all that, so the cabal's picking their their spot pretty nice here. But uh, even more than that, more bizarre than that, as I was digging in, I discovered that the Santomians, that's their local um, moniker, the Santomians, they've worked closely with the U.S. Navy since 2008, 20-plus UN agencies on this island, this tiny island off the coast of Africa. The Santomians, the poor locals, have been working closely with the U.S. Navy since 2008 in order to establish a new state-of-the-art surveillance system that's designed to collect data for the global database that tracks all the ships all around the world. I thought, wow, now that is fascinating. In fact, the deeper I dug, the more fascinating it become, uh, became. The the U.S. State Department, they established their excellent relationship with Sao Tomy and Principe in 1976. Today, the U.S. promotes the narrative that both countries share a common commitment to a democracy, uh, share a common commitment to democracy and good government. Governance, excuse me. Uh, yeah, I'm sure they do. I mean, that's right off the U.S. State Department website, by the way. Well, we share a commitment to democracy and good governments. Yeah, sure. I bet. Now, learning that this tiny island was crawling with globalists and deep state agents who were using state-of-the-art surveillance to build a global database uh, was surprising enough. But the most interesting twist of all, friends, we are moving toward Davos here, by the way. The most interesting twist came when I discovered that the U.S. government broadcast their propaganda it's called the voice of america they broadcast their voice of america propaganda from a transmitter in sao tome blanketing much of the african content, uh, continent continent but ibe da right and by the way, interestingly enough, the the Voice of America Charter was signed into law by President Gerald Ford in 1976. Hmm, man, and all these coincidences keep cropping up, you know? And according to the government's own website on the Voice of America, the Voice of America provides cultural programming through all vectors of modern media, through the internet, the mobile, and the social media, radio and television, etc. Voice of America is the mouthpiece of the deep states propaganda efforts around the world so do you see what's going on here you know i suggest when you hear the words cultural programming you take them literally because cultural programming implies, and that's coming straight off of the government website, cultural programming implies that the government is actually programming the targeted cultures with the sort of embedded social consciousness that we were learning about last summer back in Torture Report 402. Uh, the transformation of human consciousness. There's a science to transforming hu- hu- human consciousness, shifting people's belief systems by embedding social consciousness. That's what cultural programming is all about, beaming proudly from the transmitters on San uh, Sao Now, understanding that the globalists have been researching all of this, the, uh, the worldview transformation, the development of social consciousness, they've been studying this, researching this for over a decade. And so we can connect the dots here between the Sao Tome transmitter and the psychological manipulation of the entire African continent. Friends, that, I believe, explains their excellent relationship with the U.S. deep state, the IMF, the World Bank, and the various organs of the United Nations. And yet, the locals remain amongst the poorest on the planet. Hmm, those poor, poor peasants. Something's up here. Friends, I, I I submit for your consideration the possibility that what the globalists have done in Sao, Tome, and Principe, they've done it in many other places around the world. There, there There's a template of sorts, a certain method of infiltrating and capturing a nation's political system in order to impoverish the locals and exploit the territory for its national resources. Of course, this is all for the purpose of geopolitical advantage and economic gain, but there's a system to it. I mean, that seems like a pretty plausible hypothesis, right? I mean, they've done it in Sao Tome, and they've done it in other places around the world. I mean, here's how the systematic takeover actually works. First... The global bankers, they fund a fight for democracy and install a so-called democratic leader. Second, they, the freshly installed leaders then abdicate their authority and resources to the global cabal under the banner of reconstruction and building back better. They probably note that in the UN Journal, by the way. The third step then, of course, is to sign treaties and to introduce economic protocols that once implemented result in a massive transfer of wealth from the local peasants to the ruling class. Rinse, and repeat, do we not see this happening all around us in the world today? Right now, the U.N. is rallying global support and seeking international financial assistance to, quote-unquote, strengthen democracy in Sao and Principe. Because, you know, 40 years of tutelage and international funding just hasn't managed to do the trick. Friends, it should all sound very, very familiar. So let's go ahead and zoom way out. Out, shall we? Zoop! Let's go way out here because yesterday I uh, I came across an article that was titled "The Republican Revolt Against Democracy Explained in 13 Charts." I didn't have space to put it in yesterday's report. It's probably worth a full dissection. I don't have space space in today's report either, but for the sake of time. Let me just sum up the outrageous claims in the Republican Revolt Against Democracy Explained in 13 Charts article with just a few direct quotes here. And I quote, Today's Republicans really hate Democrats and democracy, end quote. (laughs) Trump's supporters have embraced anti-democratic ideas, end quote. Republicans are embracing violence, end quote. Republicans see Democrats as something worse than mere rivals, end quote. The Republican Party is a global outlier and not in a good way, end quote. Republicans dislike compromise, end quote. Ah, You can just tell they loathe those dirty, nasty, racist Republicans. Friends, this does all tie back in the Davos, and we're going to get there. But to get there first, get a load of this. I'm reading from the article, The Republican Revolt Against Democracy. And I, and and quote... The hostility to compromise on the GOP side has at least two major implications for democracy. First, it has rendered government dysfunctional and ineffective and consequently has decreased public trust in government. Second, it has pushed Democrats in a more polarized direction. End quote. I think it's rhetorical, but I must ask, do you believe that the GOP's hostility has rendered the political establishment dysfunctional and decreased the public's trust in government? Do you believe that? Friends, I don't believe that either. Of course, there are plenty of useful idiots who do believe that GOP is hostile and responsible for decreasing the public's trust in government's good sense and truth be damned. But what I want to hone in on here is the underlying assumption that trust in government is a good thing. Do you see how slyly they just slip? that idea into the public psyche trust in government is a good thing and the evil racist republicans they're destroying trust in government you see you know trust in government is good losing trust in government is bad and that is the mindset that's being promoted here and that's coming from a a good old-fashioned american liberal rag but it's not just being promoted here it's being promoted abroad just as it is in davos this trust in the government is good notion Interestingly enough, uh, as a matter of fact, that article... Uh, it cites a research paper from 2013. The paper's titled, Finding the Common Good in an Era of Dysfunctional Governance. Now, I want to read from the abstract of that research paper. That research paper was in the Republican Revolt Against Democracy article. So they, I wanna, I'm pointing this out because they've been building this narrative for a long time. So research from 2013, Finding the Common Good in an Era of Dysfunctional Governance. The abstract says, and I quote, the framers designed a constitutional system in which the government would play a, rigorous, a vigorous role in securing the liberty and well-being of a large and diverse population. America in recent years has struggled to adhere to each of these principles, leading to a crisis of governability and legitimacy, period, end quote. By the way, friends, that's the fourth time the word adhere has cropped up in just the last week. That just blows me. Away. But according to this paper, America is struggling to adhere to a constitutional system wherein the government plays a quote-unquote vigorous role in securing the well-being of a very diverse population. Pause! I assure you that is not what our constitutional system was designed to do. America was founded as a country of ruggedly independent individuals who were free to embrace life and liberty specifically without the government playing a vigorous role in our lives. In other words, this research paper from 2013 into finding the common good in an era of dysfunctional governance is little more than rancid anti-American propaganda. These arrogant collectivists, they believe that, quote, a separation of powers governing system makes it extremely difficult for majorities to act, period, end quote. A separation of powers governing system makes it extremely difficult for majorities to act. Imagine that, you know? The Constitution protects Americans from the of mob rule. That's the translation, friends. These fools, they, they actually have the audacity to go on to say quote, The Republican Party has become a radical insurgency. 2013. The Republican Party has become a radical insurgency, ideologically extreme, scornful of facts and compromise and dismissive of the legitimacy of its political opposition. Securing the common good in the face of these developments will require structural change and strategically focused citizenry. Period. End quote. Man, there are so many things we could break down on that ludicrous and misleading statement. But I want to skip over to Davos here to wrap this up. Uh, I want to wrap it up kind of just taking a quick peek into the global risks report 2024. We're going to dive into that deeper tomorrow, but take a look at the screenshot here. Hey, friends, if you're listening on a podcast platform, please know you just have to go to thetorchreport.com. Check out thetorchreport.com. You'll see this spiffy screenshot annotated by your favorite fuzzy peasant from the global risks report 2024. Uh, and it, it puts right at the top of the list. The short term greatest risks by severity. Greatest risk is miss and disinformation. Interesting. And then they have a a long-term, a 10-year approach, and I just put a clip of the first five, but misinformation goes from being the most important, uh, most severe threat to the fifth most severe threat behind all of the climate junk science uh, on the long-term scale. And I'm just curious, can you guess why? Why is the risk of misinformation and disinformation expected to drop below this you know, globally promoted, heavily promoted environmental concerns? Climate crisis and all that over the next 10 years. Can you guess why that is? I'll tell you why I believe it is. I believe it's because weaponized AI currently, right now, today, is being used. To condition humanity to trust the ruling class, to trust the science, to trust the experts, and most especially to trust the government, because I'm from the government and I'm here to help. You see, friends, keeping people safe online, that implies state-funded censorship. And it also implies that state-funded censorship is a good thing, because, of course, the government exists solely for the purpose of protecting people and keeping people safe. Behave, you know, and once the government has their state function, state-funded uh, censorship industrial complex firmly in place, you know, misinformation is not going to be an issue anymore because the government's just going to control what information you read, what information you have access to. You see, this is how they plan to deal with all of the societal polarization, the interstate conflict, the cyber insecurity. Those are the other risks that are there. Extreme weather, you know. Well, you know who decides if it's extreme? It's based on your perspective. Anyway, they're going to take care of societal polarization, interstate conflict, cybersecurity, and all this by using weaponized AI to control your perspective. As their spiffy little chart clearly shows, this is how they plan to fixate everyone on a planet on the so-called climate crisis, and that's going to allow them to fully take control. Friends, that's how AI-powered propaganda works. And once everything is in place, they simply can erase any trace of opposition. Friends, uh, we're going to have to continue this conversation tomorrow, but I must say, uh, resist, we must. (laughs) And that is the message of my heart for today. If you're enjoying this podcast, please take the time. Hey, thanks for joining me as I I went down the rabbit trail here today. Take the time. Please go to thetortureport.com, find the heart, click the heart, give me some love, subscribe if you have not subscribed already, and of course the greatest honor is if you share this podcast with everyone you know. Get out there and have a wild whimsical Wednesday. Stay warm, friends, and I'll look forward to talking to you again soon.